Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. So England have won their qualifying group and booked their place at Euro 2024 with a couple of games to spare. Oh, Kane has got there ahead of Scaloni. Can he finish it as well? Of course he can! A captain's performance from Harry Kane, but once again the focus was on Jude Bellingham and his standing in world football at the moment. Is there a better midfielder right now? 20 years old, I was still drinking the milk for my mum. <laughs> this guy is so, so beautiful. No, I'm very impressed. And as Gareth Southgate continues to bristle at questions over his team selection, does the manager's more combative character change how you feel about him? I'm Adam Leventhal. Welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast. The question he wanted to know was, if I move here, are you going to automatically rule me out? Will we be stupid to do that? Why, why would we rule any player out just based on where they're playing? OK, on the way, we're going to be assessing Gareth Southgate's approach on and off the field during this international break, aside from achieving his and England's number one target of getting to the Euros. Joining me in the studio today is the Athletics England correspondent, Tim Spears, who was at Wembley for the 3-1 win over Italy. Good to see you, Tim, once again. And our reporter, Adam Crafton, is in the studio as well. Um Let's first reflect on the victory over Italy. And Tim, to you first, did you feel that there was a a significance, the fact that it was, in the end, quite convincing against a side that England had obviously fallen to in the Euros in 2021? Was it instructive in terms of their development since the last the last attempt at a European Championships? Uh, no, uh, no, because Italy's team was so different. A different manager, a very, very different team, very inexperienced team, no outfield players with 50 caps, and they're still finding their way under a new manager. And I felt like England played really well. It was a pretty solid performance, but it was more to do with Italy's. I mean, Italy are going to struggle to make it into the top two of the group now, although I'm sure they'll qualify through the playoff. There's many ways to get to the Euros. But, um, but yeah, in- England are... Pretty consistent, really. You know, they, they put out similar teams, they play with similar tactics, and I think you know that they're very rarely going to sort of lose to inferior opposition. And in terms of qualification, like, we can scoff at how easy it is to make major tournaments these days, but England's record since they failed to qualify for Euro 2008 is remarkable. I was adding it up last night, and they've played 72 qualifiers since the Wally with the Broly night, and they've only lost two, one of which was a dead rubber. It's a pretty good record. Um... Well, especially like, um, when other countries have shown that it's yeah, not, it's not yeah. easy. The Dutch and the Italians and others will tell you it's not it's not a given. And I think England didn't have the easiest group, Italy and Ukraine. Ukraine were court finalists of the Euros in 2020. Although my taxi driver last night completely disagreed and said, uh, oh yeah, in- England have been really lucky with the draws that they've had. Um, he just wasn't giving Southgate any credit whatsoever. Although he later, he's a Man United fan who later said that Big Sam should be in charge instead of Eric Ten Hag. So I'm going to take his opinion with, with a slight... Um, pinch of salt 
But yeah, should have brought him on. <laughs> he was an interesting guy. Uh, it's a bit much at one in the morning, but you know it's okay. Um, yeah, England are where they are. I think they're they're a top four or five team in in Europe who can who can realistically aim for the semis next year and, and then see where they go from there. We'll get stuck into to Jude Bellingham in, in in a moment's time, but Adam, just in general terms, when you think of England qualifying for the Euros, there's almost I don't know, almost like a, an instant leap to oh yeah but they'll probably find a way of not not winning it should we be in the position now where we go well wow that's that is really impressive they've beaten Italy home and away they're heading in the right direction and we should celebrate that I don't think we should necessarily celebrate making you know a tournament of the how how many teams are in the Euros next summer 24 24 you know bigger than it bigger than it used to be England should be qualifying Maybe can, celebrate, can, the, celebrate, celebrate the spirit. The, yeah, the the spirit, the, the manner, more the facts that England have got a really extraordinary group of players now. If you go from, I suppose, the midfield forwards, it's pretty much as good as it's ever been, right? In those in those positions, and that's that's what you know we should be celebrating and it's exciting. And the fact that most of the pretty much all of them seem to really want to be involved and they care about it and they're invested in it and that. Spirit within the group still seems pretty good. So that's the exciting part. And, you know, we say about will they find a way not to win it next summer. You know, I look at the teams around Europe at the moment. It's France and then England. I think even Southgate said last night, you know, that he has to accept they are one of the teams that will be considered capable of winning it. Let's just quickly pause for a moment because obviously, you know, all is well for for England, but not so for, for Italy after the defeat at Wembley. Uh, this is what James Horncastle, our Serie Italian correspondent, uh, made of it all, speaking to Michael Bailey on this morning's episode of the Daily Football Briefing. Italy's in transition. Uh, it has been since the team failed to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar. That was the end of a cycle. So, for example, Giorgio Chiellini uh, retired. Leonardo Bonucci became the captain. If you look at some of the other Members of that Italy Euro winning side, Jorginho, he's been eclipsed by Declan Rice. You've then got Verratti, who at age 30 has moved to play in Qatar. And then Insigne, Insigne went to play in MLS uh, for Toronto. Chiesa is often injured. And so it means that this team that uh, Roberto Mancini, the predecessor of Luciano Spalletti, tried to move on, you know, is still yet to really take shape. And I think there is some sympathy for Spalletti. Spalletti was supposed to be on a sabbatical and instead, you know, Mancini uh, resigns to take the Saudi Arabia job. Spalletti gets parachuted in. First game is against North Macedonia. Brings back a lot of memories, bad memories for Italy fans and some members of this squad because that was the team that they lost to in the World Cup semi-final playoff. Meant that they didn't go to uh, the World Cup in Qatar. And look, I mean, this Italy team, it's got new centre-back partners. Centre-backs who are used to playing in a back three rather than a back four. It changes every game. Uh, we also see the the number six, the deep-lying playmaker, the regista in front of the defence keeps changing. So this is an Italy team at this moment without reference points. So Italy still have a battle on to get to the Euros. Let's focus now on the star of the show, really, against Italy. Although he didn't score, he had the biggest impact, I think is fair to say, and that is Jude Bellingham. Where does he rank at the moment in world football in terms of midfielders for you, Tim? Uh, I guess in terms of what he's doing for Real Madrid and England, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better one. And 
yeah, England England might have lost without him last night. He I watched him at Hampden Park. I think it's the first time I've seen him in the flesh, and he stands out so much physically. He's he's a unit, by the way. But it felt like at Wembley, he had everyone in the stadium in the palm of his hand. Mm. He had he had his teammates constantly trying to feed him and and play through him. He had Italy revolving their 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 defensive strategy around stopping him. And then you had the crowd all looking to him. And then and then he delivers. You know, he he really he reminded me of sort of early Rooney a little bit, but also Gerard. It was a very Gerard-esque take the game by the scruff of the neck and drag England through kind of performance. Plus he's got, you know, for the second goal he's he's sliding tackle outside his own box and then he's lobbing a player in the opposition half. But then he has the the awareness to lay it off for Rashford rather than trying to do it all himself. And then the run to create space as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think like Gerard, he could probably play in any position on the pitch. But he differs from Gerard in that he's better technically, I think. And he's far more advanced at his age than Gerard was at his age. And that doesn't mean that Bellingham's going to get better and better and better. This might be the best we ever see of him. But... Well, you've got this sort of worry, haven't you? I am worried. Because, we, I mean, we spoke about this on the on the weekend preview. Well, we got we got you to select your teams for Euro 2028, um, which is obviously a well-trodden path and, and some people do it and then you look at the teams and you go, well, they're not playing anymore, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't pick Jude Bellingham because you didn't think he's going to be playing them because he's playing too much now. So you are concerned about that, You're aren't you? You're putting far too much credence into this team that took me two, no, two minutes do, to cobble together. You do think he's playing too much, don't you? Yeah, I was, I was, I, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I did, I did kind of foresee that Bellingham will be injured for that tournament because, um, yeah, if he's playing 70 games a season, like he might do for the next six years, having started at such a young age, there was a stat that FIFA Pro put out that said he's played 15,000 minutes by the age of 20. And when you compare that to like Lampard and Gerrard, they were down like two, 3,000. So there's a huge difference and, and far more than Rooney as well. So there's a huge difference in the amount of football he's been playing. Yes, there are massive advancements in uh sports science but it's it's hard to see that he's still gonna be doing this age 38 um so yeah i, th I think we can just we can certainly suggest and theorize that he, he may be a player that has an early peak and then because he plays so much football in any stage of career that might uh, lessen as he gets older gareth southgate after the game against italy basically did say that he has been the catalyst for a sort of a step up for for england and obviously he's enjoying having someone like him in his in his team do you think that it, this is just a, a simple case of now just building a team around Jude Bellingham? No, I mean, the, the word I'd use about Bellingham is he's just undeniable, right? Like you watch, anyone could watch him. And I don't think you could find anyone at the moment who would say, I'm not sure. Yeah. Right? It is just so, it's a weird comparison. I was on a sort of like a YouTube rabbit hole the other day and it gave me like a clip of um, uh, the singing show, The Voice. Right, where you've got these four judges all facing the other way, yeah. and then someone starts singing, and it's just like an immediate yeah. you're pressing the button, right? Yeah. You're watching him, and he's just making you turn around and pay attention. And that, that's the way I feel about him at the moment that you just, there just isn't a fault in his game, there isn't a weakness in his game. And I know we sometimes get carried away about young players, but th this, this guy is diff this guy is. Whatever, he is exactly what everyone is saying he is. And I think where he's important for England is that this squad has pretty much stayed reasonably consistent in terms of the, the makeup of it and the players that we see in the starting lineup, if, even if you go back, maybe to sort of from certainly from 20, from Euro 2020. 
And what he gives is that freshness and that element of difference and unpredictability. I thought his performance last night was was really good. I thought the Scotland one was like mind-blowingly good. One of the best performances I can remember from an England player. It was like every time he took the ball, it was like... Well, the, the, just say the Scotland fans applauded him off, a small section of Scotland right. fans. And from the way that they started the night, you know, you couldn't even hear the national anthem before the game because they <laughs> hate the English so much. And some yeah, of them were yeah, applauding yeah. him off. It was remarkable. Yeah. As you say, like physically incredibly imposing. He's got all the physical attributes. He's fast. He's strong. He's so skillful. He's not careless. He makes good decisions. Everything you want from a midfield player. And you could put him in any part of that midfield. You could ask him to man mark someone. And I think he'd do really well. You could ask him to be number to play off a striker as he's doing for Real Madrid. And in terms of his longevity, I think what will make him be able to to be that sort of longer term player is he will have to become a kind of later era Scholes or Gerrard that evolves into that quarterback. Because I suppose the one thing maybe at the moment he can't, well, he's not really got the opportunity to do because he's not playing there, is dictate a game from deep, yeah. right? Like to really dictate the tempo of the game in the way that. Uh, a Perlo or a Xavi or Scholes might do, but he's not being asked to do that. He probably could. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I'm just loving football at the minute, Joe, to be honest. Every time I'm on the pitch, I'm just enjoying myself. I'm, I'm feeling really free. The, the management at my club, my country, are giving me the freedom to just play kind of how I see it, really. Um, I know that defensively I have to keep my discipline, but you know, offensively I know I can offer a lot um, all over the pitch and I've got that freedom to do it. So, yeah, loving my footy. It's interesting as well, when you, when you think back to the World Cup, watching him there, he was very willing to step in, even though it was his, um, his first tournament, step in in terms of being a leader. We, you were thinking with, with Harry Kane at the, at the World Cup, is he sort of challenging him too much? Is he, is he being too authoritative? Now it seems that it's, it's perfect. And, and Harry Kane, who did so well in that game against Italy as well, it seems like those two who are both playing away from the Premier League are, you know, stepping back into that England camp and fusing really, really well at the right time. Yeah, it's interesting you you say about his um, sort of telling others how what, what to do was uh, an issue that came up at Dortmund after he left, of course. But if he backs it up with the performances that he's delivering for Real Madrid and England, then that, that won't be a problem. As he's doing in pretty much every game he's played at the moment, it's the, 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 the purple patch he's in is insane. Um, it's 11 goals. For club and country already this season in the games he's not scoring he's man of the match mm. right it, it is freakishly good i mean without getting carried away you know if he was to maintain this through to the euros it's ballon d'or kind of discussion mm -hmm. levels of performance no yeah. pressure yeah golden boy at a minimum i think <laughs> um but it's, it's it's interesting you know adam's described the perfect player there 
But it doesn't feel like the country's going nuts over Bellingham. Do you think it helps that he's not playing here? That yeah, I, because, I think... because there is not that kind of tribal, he plays for Arsenal or Liverpool or Manchester United, therefore he's not as good as, you know, you'd have people say, oh, he's not as good as Enzo Fernandez or he's not as good as Declan Rice. Like there, there isn't that kind of division. There's almost just this appreciation and slight wonder because it's happening at a bit of a distance. Yeah, I agree. And I think that definitely counted against sort of Rooney after he moved mm. to Man United because Man United is a club that the majority of the country, you know, love to hate. And I also think that played into the sort of a freakishly good player doing doing wonderful things in every game that we saw a year ago with Haaland because he plays for Man City who are not quite as hateable and the admiration was from the whole country for him. And it feels like we should be like that about Bellingham, but we're just not quite at that level because as Adam says, he's because he's playing in Spain. And he's the he's the next England captain, is he not? Um I don't know. I th- I think maybe Declan Rice would would get that. I think I don't not sure I mean, I can't see Kane going anywhere for for a while anyway. So maybe by the time that Kane does decide to stop, then it would be Bellingham, but probably between Bellingham and Rice, you would you would think. Um, but he's not a player that needs the armband. He just plays like that, you know. That, and that's where, that's kind of what we wanted for years, right? Like rather than it being this huge fuss over who wears a piece of, uh, you know, a band around their arm, you want player, everyone who's playing to lead in their own way. And some people will be, doing that just by being very you know someone like Kieran Trippier I think is actually a pretty good leader um, in that team you know just by being solid and dependable and willing to fill into different positions and all of that kind of thing Jordan Pickford in his own way has become a bit of a leader for England Um, you know we never really have a discussion about the goalkeeper with England anymore that's how even whatever concerns people may have like it's just kind of accepted so I think Bellingham as well is becoming one of those players but I, I don't think there needs to be a rush to make him captain also because it would just one of the other benefits of him being that bit further away is he probably has that little bit less intrusion as well he's not become someone that you see stories written about on the front page of the tabloids yet which i think is an, an, a really interesting thing and maybe that's a general change that we've seen in newspaper culture to a certain extent but i think it also helps that he's he's not really been here for, for long enough yeah completely agree and and with Adam's port and the tribalism, that makes a difference. The lack of tabloid scrutiny, you know, it's it's not it's not quite what it was because of the decline of print media, but um, it's certainly still there. You know, you can ask Rooney how what he feels about the tabloid scrutiny that he's received in, in even in the past decade. So, um, yeah, there, there are benefits to him being there. Also, if he's playing playing poorly for Real Madrid, who's going to know? He'll get it in Spain. My God, he's he's got enormous pressure more than we can realise playing for Real Madrid, but. But he'll avoid it here for sure. I mean, he's also just, I mean, from a commercial point of view, he is just like, he, he, I can't imagine some of the offers he must be getting at the moment, right? In terms of brands that are just looking at him as, you know, this guy who communicates incredibly well whenever he talks, who has extraordinary talent, has a maturity, a consistency, a clear long term, despite Tim's fears. Um, long-term kind of commercial potential around him it's it must be so exciting and it is one of the things when you hear him speak like it's amazing how kind of just level Mm. headed he seems to be and how calm he seems to be about the whole thing yeah and the biggest test will now come well from from now onwards because everybody's telling him he's a genius so what do you do when everybody's telling you that every single day and you're adored by millions of people all he can do is keep doing it that's like he has to do it again and again and again because the level he's playing, you know, Real Madrid, you can't really get away with 
with, with not doing it at that level. And then if you come back to England and all of a sudden you've been made the number 10, and then that means some really good players aren't going to play or not play in their best position. You know, Madison, Grealish, Foden maybe would prefer to play centrally as well. So the, there will be a pressure. Like, let's not make out there's not going to be a pressure. And, and it, it will come down to, you know, we've seen qualification periods where Wayne Rooney was sensational and then got to a tournament at certain times and just the world collapsed around around him. So, or, you know, if he gets a red card, yeah, all, all these kind of things can happen. It, you can sometimes feel very, very safe in your environment and then it just flicks. Yeah, and also, you know, this 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 strange dynamic of him not playing in England, and it is strange, it's strange to us. You know, there are examples in recent of Messi being the most obvious one. Hard for us to imagine, but not universally loved and adored in Argentina and, until he basically, you know, delivered them the World Cup. He was called a traitor, you know, for for, for, for moving to Spain so young and staying there all of his life. Wrote a piece about this on The Athletic today. You know, Cesc Fabregas would be a, another maybe example of coming to England, doing the opposite to Bellingham, coming to England so young, and he felt that hindered his Spain chances. It's um, definitely a story with Spanish players. You know, mm. there was a feeling for a long time around some of those Spanish players that had come to English football that they weren't getting perhaps the, the attention from the Spanish national team coaches that that they would expect to have or that they would get a hard... T- you know, someone like actually David De Gea, when he was in that sensational sort of run of four or five years at, at Man United, never felt as though he got the appreciation back home in Spain because everyone was watching Real Madrid and Barcelona every weekend instead of watching him basically keep several managers in a job for, for quite a long time at Old Trafford and then he'd make a mistake for Spain and he was immediately really sort of under, under criticism for it. Where it's probably different with England is we're not used to seeing players go abroad. Spain was sort of worrying that they had this drain yeah. of talent out of La Liga whereas it's you know apart from Bellingham and Kane everyone really is here. Yeah, although it's happening more often now yeah. because, you know, Tomori's been shunned. Yeah. You know, until recently, Tomori had won as many England caps as he had Serie A titles in the, in the last two years. And Jaden Sancho would, would be another who, who of course, uh, started in Germany. But it, it is a curious thing. You know, we, we watch England games. We're talking about Jude Bellingham right now, but a lot of my mates didn't watch the England game last night or, or the other night. So they just will not be watching Jude Bellingham play football, to be honest. So the, the one time that they definitely will is at tournaments. And I think that's what will, if he stays at Real Madrid, and he said last night, you know, he wants to stay there for 10 years. If he stays at the, it'll be what he does in tournaments that defines how the English public sort of view him. And, and by footballer. the way, that like front of the book, it's kind of, almost, I always think of like a, a magazine profile of Bellingham, will explode as soon as he scores the first goal at Euro 2024. That's where the I think the general public, that general interest audience will just really... Stop thinking. Who is this kid? Yeah, and this is this is not a, the greatest example, but it's one of few that we have in this country. So Owen Hargreaves will be one who who was a very very good and successful player for Bayern Munich when he was in the 2006 World Cup squad. He'd won more medals than any player in that England squad, but he was booed in that tournament by England fans. I think when he came on against Paraguay, and he was asked about it, and he said, "Well, it doesn't help that they don't know me. They don't know anything about me. They don't watch me." You know, is is there a, a point in the future where England are going through a bad spell, which will happen, and people just aren't watching Bellingham, and maybe he has a couple of duff games for England, and and people people turn on him, maybe, and 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 he might turn around and say, well, no, no, people don't know me, they don't watch me. I don't know. It's it's a different dynamic. 
You're smiling. I think me. if we just presume that every England player will at some point get booed. He will get booed at um, some point, yeah. So this, that would probably save us all a lot of time and stress over the years. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If the booze continue, though, can you continue to select him? Yes, 100%. I'll always pick the players that I think are the best players to represent the team. Give us the, the best chance of winning unless there's something that I feel is not appropriate. In this instance, people may disagree with Jordan's stance or decision, given the stance he's taken in the past to support the LGBT community. But I don't think that's a, a reason to not select him. And um, Okay, let's focus on Gareth Southgate now. The man, the manager, but also the communicator, especially during this international break because I think it's a discussion worth having. He's usually the sort of the perfect embodiment of diplomacy. He's, he's had a willingness to talk on various issues over his over his tenure and some difficult ones to, to pull apart, to be fair. Um, this international break, especially pre and post Australia, which was the first international, if you weren't aware, in this international break, um, he was very combative, I think is probably the, the right word to to use, well, The Athletic's Seb Stafford-Bloor has written on this sort of change of attitude uh, with Gareth Southgate, and he just sent his thoughts on the situation. So there you go, uh, Henderson coming off as a substitute and getting uh, booed by some of the public, and Southgate afterwards wasn't happy about that at all. He said, defied logic. I really don't understand it. He's a player who, I think, 79 caps now for England. His commitment and what he's delivered for England is exceptional. It defies logic to me that you would that you would give a player who's playing and putting his heart and soul into playing for England, why, why boo him? How is that going to help him or help the team? In a way, Gareth Southgate has really become a victim of expectations he's set around himself. I think his reign as England head coach has been characterised by this willingness to engage on topics 
outside of football, which, as we know from club football, a lot of his contemporaries are, are still unwilling to do. They they play the kind of I'm I'm just a you know I'm just a football man card, the sort of the weird managerial emerta that um, they benefit from. Whereas Southgate has engaged and talked eloquently about the Black Lives Matter movement, about his own players taking the knee. He's talked about the murder of George Floyd. He's talked about white privilege. That he's, he's done that is hugely to his credit, but at the same time that he now falls down on an issue which is really quite simple, is so disappointing and, and threatens to alienate the people that he attracted in the first place. I think that not everybody who has responded to Jordan Henson in the way that they have is doing so because of where he plays his football, because he's in Saudi Arabia, but there is clearly a significant number within them that believe quite understandably that a player who was an ally has now turned their back on them. And I don't think that's particularly difficult to grasp. And so for someone like Southgate, who's proved that he's comfortably a match for some of the bigger topics in the world today that go well beyond football and even sport, it's incredibly disappointing. And understandably, there are people who will now not necessarily reevaluate the kind of the, the footballing merit of his reign, but reevaluate what he means as England head coach and what he stands for. And it's really disappointing. So let's bring in Tim and Adam on this. Um, do you think it's it's an unfair categorization of of Gareth Southgate that his his demeanour has changed and he's he's you know he's put out there a, a sort of a disappointing stance in particular on on Jordan Henderson? Uh, he's combative is the right word. Certainly more combative than I expected. Albeit it's no surprise to see him defend Jordan Henderson. But he was you know he was fierce in that defence. Um, this was no, you know, fans can pay their money and they're entitled to their opinion line, which is what everybody says when uh, players are booed. It was, you know, even if you think Henderson is a traitor for playing in Saudi Arabia, I don't think you should boo. That's that's basically the gist of what he said. And he was he he offered that opinion. He wasn't asked directly, do you think they should boo? You know, he sort of volunteered it, and then he became very sarcastic about the nation's values. And sort of saying, you know, I would I would back Henderson against anyone in this country when it comes to to, to values, basically. So he really went for it. Um, he's probably tired of the criticism he receives. You know, he's mo England's most successful manager in five or six decades, and he's coming up to ninety matches now. But he's not being criticised for his for his record, is he? He's being asked uh, because of his previous for his opinion on this, and and I think people maybe expect more from him but do you think it's just yeah. that he's he's exhausted of having to talk about things that are perhaps outside of his his remit and maybe he's sort of made his bed and he's now having to lie in it and go well, I just don't want to do it anymore I think so and I think I think there's the context there of he knows but he can't say he knows that 5000 people aren't booing Jordan Henderson because they're standing up for LGBTQ plus rights he knows that he can't really come out and say it because that would involve sitting people down and asking why they're booing. But he knows that Henderson and Maguire have had the, the brunt of England fans' frustrations for quite a few years now. A friend of mine absolutely hates Jordan Henderson. And this is going back years. He's just like, he's so overrated. I don't want him anywhere near this England team. And now with what has happened in the past few months, I think a lot of people are using that as a, as a stick to beat him with. I'm not saying that they're that they're wrong to do so. But I do think that people are just booing Jordan Henderson because they don't like him or think he's good enough to be in this England team as a starting point. Now, Adam, obviously, you, you sort of had something to do with this in, in a sense because you <laughs> interviewed Jordan Henderson and he put his thoughts over. It was in a, 
in an interview with um, with yourself, Adam, and, and David Ornstein, that was sort of put out there. He was then questioned about it once and then twice, and then it sort of carried on after the booing. What what do you make of how Gareth Southgate has dealt with this issue most recently? Yeah, I, I think like a lot of people, he's probably drained by a lot of the discussion that surrounds England in terms of social issues, a little bit exhausted by it as well. I think even, I think I think everyone kind of feels that at the moment, you know. Where, um, I, I think what I would say slightly in defense of Gareth Southgate is I think the things he spoke out about, he's often been led by his players in doing so. So obviously England had situations where if you think back to that game, was it in Bulgaria where they had left the pitch because there was racist abuse of players? And clearly there was then discussions between the players about how they should deal with racism within football. That clearly became a broader sporting athlete movement. But I, th- I think where, where Southgate has been consistent is, is basically in standing up for his players, right? So with regards to speaking about, you know, as you say, around white privilege, Black Lives Matters. I think he was led by his dressing room to a large extent in doing so. And then when you see him now sort of defending Jordan Henderson, I think part of the problem he has is if he comes out and it says Jordan Henderson shouldn't be taking money from Saudi Arabia, okay, so what are you going to do about uh, Kyle Walker, Jack Grealish? I mean, if you're saying that you shouldn't be taking money from a golf state on account of LGBT rights, Foden, Kieran Trippier are all, you know, funded by, I suppose, funds that are linked in some way or said to be linked in some way to to nation states that don't have rules that we may not like around LGBT rights. So it creates a very difficult situation. You know, even Harry Kane came very close a couple of years ago to joining Manchester City. So I have some sympathy in that regard. And both he and Jordan Henderson could have taken a very easy route out of this, which is that when Henderson went to Saudi, they could have both just sort of said to each other, look, this is going to cause us hassle. Do we really need to do it? But clearly, Henderson cares enough. Do we really about, need to do... Do we do really it? need to carry on sort of playing, uh, picking Jordan Henderson yeah. for the England squad, yeah. right? Because it's going to cause everyone a load of a load of grief. And, you know, Jordan's won, Jordan Henderson's won a lot. He's won a Premier League, won a Champions League, been at tournaments. Gareth Southgate's got a lot of credit in the bank. They could have just had a conversation where we must shake hands. It's been great. See you soon. But actually, I think it kind of speaks to, one, how much Henderson seems to care about playing for England, that he wants to carry on and kind of endure this discussion. And and I, and I know people will be listening saying it's his own fault. And yeah, basically. But, and then it also speaks volumes for clearly the value that Southgate sees in having Henderson involved in the squad and that that may be almost vibes behind the scenes you know t- Tim was saying before we went on went on air recorded about how Connor Cody was in the English squad for a long time that's because Connor Cody's a good player but it was also because of generally what he was seen to bring to the group and you know I think Southgate's spoken about the value Henderson brought when Jude Bellingham first came into the squad and and, and things like that there's a mixture of things going on here one is that I think Southgate has always been led by his own dressing room and the reality, and this is exactly what we saw during the World Cup, right? When it came to the whole kind of one love rainbow armband, the dressing room wasn't even involved in those discussions, right? Southgate said that himself, right? He said, 
this was a decision that you know the the FA had to take because we wanted to protect the players from it. If that would have been an equivalent discussion around taking the knee, it would have involved the players, right? And right and rightly so because there is that representation within the dressing room. As far as we know, you know, there's no player within the England squad that's come out and said they're part of the LGBT community. And I think that's where it, it tells us different things. One is that Southgate's following his players, but two, it also says that on the issue of representation for the LGBT community, it's not seen rightly or wrongly as something that impacts England footballers. And I think that's where that disconnect is coming. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it does make sense. Um, but I guess if you if you were to sort of boil that right down, it would be stop asking me about stuff that doesn't really concern me and shouldn't be concerning so many other people, which is, is I guess, where he's treading a difficult line. There is another thing going on, which is from the moment that the England players and the England manager started to speak about anything socially, politically, there have been a pretty substantial part of the media in Britain that have been waiting, that have been desperate, basically, for them to slip up in some way so, so that they could try and essentially undermine the whole thing, right? And saying, you're not consistent in your values or, um, you know, you were talking about this without a full appreciation of what this could mean down the line or it's just woke or whatever it is, right? There have been people waiting for that slip up. So, something I thought was interesting yesterday, you have the England, the England cricket team currently in India. Yesterday, um, it was announced the Supreme Court in India, for example, isn't approving um, gay marriage. Now, that story is more complicated than, than the way I've just boiled it down because it could go back to the, the, the Indian parliament who could approve it. But nobody is asking the England cricket team during the World Cup in India, what do you think of this? In a way that I think the England football team probably would. Now, and it's not true to say that's because the England football team have put themselves front and centre of these discussions because actually you've also had cricketers who have taken the knee. You've also had cricketers that have worn rainbow laces. And I think it just shows how football becomes just... I always think anything that happens in Britain eventually becomes either about the BBC or football, or football right? And that is kind of, again, what, what we're seeing here. And it's not right or wrong, but that, that's kind of my analysis of it. So do you have sympathy for for Gareth Southgate and and do you think that he's being like this for for any other reason that he's almost trying to sidestep it and go well look can we just concentrate on the football because this is going to be my this is going to be my last tournament most no, probably I think I think that's a big part of it he's already talking about well he's joking about the fact that he's going to be a pundit in 2030 and then he was asked about the 28 euros the other day and very much spoke in a manner that there's no way he'll be in the manager at that point that's only 5 years away so that you're then looking at, well, will he still be there in 2026? Probably not. It feels like to me this is his last tournament. And I, th I think he has been worn down. You know, this is he's coming up to 90 games now. That's a lot of press conferences with a lot of bad questions and a lot of negativity where there doesn't need to be negativity. Even if England win 3-0, he'll be asked, oh, well, you know, so-and-so didn't play very well or oh, what are you going to do next game, Gareth, or whatever. So that, that must be quite wearing. And, and let's be honest, he's been almost perfect in the way that he's dealt with a whole range of very sensitive and important issues. You know, media-wise, he's he's as good as it gets, really, from an England managerial point of view. Hence why we're making a 
deal of this because I think it's it's one of the few times you can actually look at Gareth Southgate and say, have you got that right, really? But I think it was quite clear from the World Cup, right? Like from from the World Cup where, you know, for kind of a few years leading up to it, we'd heard all this stuff about England, they're going to go there, they're going to do, they're going to do this, they're going to say that, they're going to have this joint message. And it just never really came, right? And I think Southgate's smart enough to know that once that came and went, it makes it very hard for him to then kind of get back on a soapbox and and start, you know, really sort of, uh, sort of pontificating over societal and, and moral issues. But I do expect if it's things that directly impact his squad or are perceived to directly impact his squad, then he will continue to speak up. And I think that's what you're seeing, right? You know, the way that he defended Harry Maguire after he was booed even, right, against Scotland. If it's something that he feels is going to impact the England squad's unity and performance, I think that's when he will now get involved. Yeah, and I also think that an issue with Henderson is we don't see a lot of the good things that he do. I think that includes on the pitch. I think behind I, the scenes, you mean? I think I think it includes on the pitch. Your average football fan, you know, if if you're just watching highlights or things at both ends of the pitch, you won't see Jordan Henderson do very much. But it's it's the way that he supports his teammates. Um, on the pitch, off the pitch, as Adam said earlier, helping Jude Bellingham into the fold. You know, it's things that we don't see, which sort of counts against him, really. Um, from my point of view, watching England the last few months, he stands out as being an ineffective midfield player, to be honest. And, and I do question why he plays such a prominent role. I know he's not first 11 guaranteed at the moment, but he's first sub on last night. But he had a good World Cup. He had a good World Cup, but I think playing in Saudi Arabia massively counts against him, surely. And also, he's, he's 33 now. I think, well, a technical issue with England's midfield is there aren't there aren't there isn't really anyone else knocking on the door. I see why Southgate wants that extra protection in midfield and there aren't many other players that offer it. Hence why Manchester City's eighth-choice midfielder starts last night in a big qualifier in Calvin Phillips. There aren't many options, which is why one of the main reasons Jordan Henderson is still there. Do you think, just a final point on, on Gareth Southgate, and it's interesting you mentioned about um, you know not playing at, at the right level to qualify for being in a tournament. You know, we've had the, the Netflix documentary where Fabio Capello, you know, basically said you can't be playing for LA Galaxy, go to AC Milan, and then obviously he was able to to play at the 2010 yeah. World Cup. Um, do you think the the sort of the, the loyalty issue that Gareth Southgate has has got for those players, do you think it is more likely to be his downfall at a tournament or is actually going to be the thing that carries England over the line? No, I think it, because help, of that it, it helps keep them together. Uh, you, you can still see that sense of unity and, and, and team England. Or so club, he's doing club the right thing. Um, Phillips is right to be in there. Maguire's right to be in there. Henderson's right to be in there. I think you can you can pick up our arguments for certain players. It's tough, isn't um, it? I, th I think if Henderson or Phillips were holding someone back, it'd be a much easier argument. But, you know, they're not. Can you make an utterly compelling case for James Ward-Prowse to be in that England squad? West Ham fans listening will say yes, but I, I don't know. I, I've yet to hear an utterly compelling argument for him to be there. Um, I really like Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield. He, he excites me, but I can understand why Gareth Southgate wouldn't want him as a second defensive midfielder in a tournament. I, th I think the other thing is, if Southgate was to make it a red line playing in Saudi Arabia, that that's a dangerous thing to do, right? Saudis aren't going to stop buying players. Right, so if Harry Kane next summer for some reason falls out with Bayern Munich and rocks up in Saudi Arabia, and we've all decided, oh, the standards not good enough, or the size of the crowd isn't good enough, that maybe he's foreseeing something 
down the line. Maybe, you know, we're not in these discussions. Maybe it is simply blind loyalty. I don't know. It may be he thinks it gives value, or it may be that he is foreseeing a direction of travel for the sports industry that we're seeing across numerous sports that the Saudis aren't going to stop investing and therefore not wanting to make it a red line. And it may just be actually that randomly in whether it's November or March, whenever internationals come about, Henderson's just not picked, right? It may be that he's just phasing it slightly. Yeah, and I would just say slightly, we talk about blind loyalty, but Raheem Sterling Mm. has been one of his key players at tournaments and never really let England down at a tournament either. And where is he at the moment? He's been dropped. Which I think has gone unnoticed a little bit. But for the last two international breaks, he's playing well for his club. Yeah. He's played well for Southgate for many years. And where is he? And Mason Matt is another one. Not not in the squad. Well, and Sterling in particular has actually spoken about the fact that he would love to be back in there as well whilst playing Yeah, and well. Sterling and Matt, you would class as Southgate's favourites that yeah. people don't like being picked all the time because of that. So he's shown that he can do it. We have to end the conversation now. And I suppose we should probably say, well, it doesn't really matter if any of those other players play because if Jude Bellingham is in there, then England will probably win the Euros anyway so it doesn't really matter um tim thank you very much adam thank you very much to you as well uh, just a reminder if you want to sign up for the athletic read the likes of tim adam myself as well you can sign up now for 199 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod thank you very much for listening we'll be back tomorrow you've been listening to the athletic football podcast the producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.